Welcome to episode three of For Fuck's Sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS Podcast. Uh, be sure to check us out on all social media. We're on the Insta, the FB, the YouTube, the Spotify, the Google, the Stitcher, the Apple, iTunes, everything, everything, everything. So make sure you're following us. I'm Aaron Salazar. I am an award winning director. I can say that now <laughs> in New York yes. City. Um, <laughs> doing my thing but if you want to know more about me check out the website at 4fspodcast.com and we still still are lucky to have why am i saying still and on our third episode oh my god second to last jason i can't take it don't say that the brilliant and talented and just general fucking badass jason vc is here jason vc doing everything most recently he's appeared in little voice that you can check out on apple plus tv i need i need money apple um apple <laughs> apple plus tv or tv plus he's on little voice and uh he also recently appeared in the pulitzer prize winning production of michael r jackson's a strange loop of playwrights horizons winning all the awards honey um oh. and he's, he was in a, a little show called the lion king which we're also going to talk about on in the national tour and on the damn broadway so he's here and if you want to know more about him go back go back to these last two episodes <laughs> and hear about this 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 fucking t-h-o-t living his life <laughs> the artist of the times and he's also just blowing up so follow vcville actually pr- uh, spell it for us jason if you don't mind v as in victor e-a-s-e-y v-i-l-l-e and just to, not that you're, you're you're nailing my last name all the all the time, but um, it is not VC as pronounced. There's no Z, so it's not VZ. It's VC. VC. Yes. Yes. So Jason VC is here. Oh, so happy to have you here. Uh, I'm happy to be here. What a gift! What a gift! God, and, and by the way, Jason and I have been kicking all for a long time. <laughs> Which is something we I'm I'm I I know I keep talking shit about this, but we're gonna do it. We're gonna start a Patreon. One because let's be real, I mean none of this shit is free, and two mm-hmm. because there's a lot of extra content that we can't even fit into these podcasts, and they're already running long. That I think might interest you. For example, our opinions about the Crown. Um, yeah, just one thing. Um, yes. And about are they are they good looking or are they? Ju- anyway, we'll talk about that later too. Um, <laughs> I still might I bring that up. Let's not give episode. that to the children just yet. They need to pay yeah, for that. Yeah. That's not free. Okay. That is okay. not free. Okay. If you want that opinion, okay. you need to pay for that opinion. It'll be Great. it'll be relaxed, guys. I'll, I'll announce it. The Patreon will be coming up soon. It'll be like a dollar or five dollars. And you know, if you if you got the cash to throw us uh, a Starbucks, <clears> then you know we'll hook it up. So, Jason, first and foremost, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little. I'm gonna get sad now because I know it's the final countdown for us. I, I can't. I know it's been. It's like I. I we might have to bring you. You guys might hate us because we'll be like. And now our September guest, Jason Beasley. Like I'm back. I know. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, getting the opportunity to come back to New York for a couple of weeks. 
for a thing. So I'm excited about that. So excited and anxious, to be honest with you, um, about it. What but I'm flight, good. What plane? What what uh, airline are you flying? Do you know? I am doing uh, Frontier. Okay. Uh, because it's a Colorado hub, and the tickets are always cheap and affordable. And just make sure you let uh, me Campbell that shit, and just hazmat yourself. I know. I'm gonna be wrapped. I'm gonna be fully saran wrapped. Oh, oh yeah. Just make it art, art. Hannibal Lecter. Yes, art. art. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm actually. The thing is, the plane is not what bothers me. It's the actual airport that that makes me nervous. Mm. I don't know why. Um. Well, but and I'm also good. too, there's so many people who are not paying attention, which is a big problem right now. We talked about that actually in the last episode about coronavirus and and mask for mask in our last episode. But yeah, and I'm and I and, and I'm definitely coming from a hub where people don't really believe that there's something going on. So that's maybe why I'm a little bit nervous. Isn't it amazing? People don't believe because you know, <laughs> fuck science. I mean, it doesn't. Okay. You know, who who needs it? Uh, who needs it who needs uh, it so actually that's a great segue because we've really been going in these last mm-hmm. few episodes about everything and we will continue to you know talk about some real shit it's the whole point of the podcast uh i suddenly felt compelled to tell everyone what the podcast is about but you know what go back and find out um <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i love you guys if you're listening you guys yes guys gals them they Everyone, everyone. All y'all motherfuckers. All of you, all right? All 10 of you. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) But we thought that we would do something to satiate the need in all of us, since this is a theater podcast. (laughs) I mean, it's you. I mean, we're theater people, so all we can, you know, we can only come from the point of view of theater artists. But we thought we would do some, some, something fun today and talk about fucking theater. Um, yeah. Mainly, yes. Mainly to dive into some incredible work that Jason has been a part of uh, recently. So, Jason, let's. Yes. I I have so much I want to know. Um, shall we start with the latest, the Pulitzer Prize winning production of Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop? Let's start. I love God damn. Wait, first of all, will you do me the honor of uh, me and my us? Will you do me the honor of letting everyone know the awards you all won this season so far? (laughs) Uh, I can try. And I'm not saying that to be cute. I can try. Um, uh, The Pulitzer Prize, Outer Critics Circle, New York Critics Circle, Acting, uh, John Andrew Morrison and 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 Larry Owens won the Lucille Lortel Awards. I bet there's more than that too. I- <laughs> yes. So the official is the Drama Desk Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Musical, Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Lyrics, Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book, and the Pulitzer Prize. Let alone everything that Jason just mentioned in terms of also yeah. what the cast won. So. To circle back around in the very first episode, right? Was it the first or the second? It's hard to say now. It's all blurry. You had started... Oh, no. The first episode. You started to talk about the commitment of A Strange Loop starting Mm -hmm. seven Mm -hmm. years ago. And it only underlined the point we were making about musicals often take 10 years page to stage. My journey with A Strange Loop started in 2012. John Andrew was there before doing bits and pieces. So the gestation, I guess, of Strange Loop is way longer, over a decade longer. But I 
became a part of the project in 2012, I got an email from Michael saying that a friend had recommended me, Randy Blair, shout out to Randy Blair. And the crazy thing was, is that he had attached a bunch of links to his work, which is, was not abnormal, but I just, he kept reiterating, you know, please make sure that you get the tone and stuff of my work. And I was like, okay, you know, all right. I listened to some of it on the way there. Um, and then in meeting and talking with Michael, he, was, he wasn't really auditioning, he was vetting me. I call it vetting um, because he had had a, num a number of experiences with a number of people in the industry that at the last minute before performances even dropped out because they were nervous about um, some of the material. At that point, I think a lot of people who kind of got scared, um, this is just my theory, it was one of two reasons. One, because it was maybe they weren't ready to live in their full truth as a queer person. So, and you know, mm -hmm. Michael's work is booby-trapped in that mm -hmm. way, in terms of, I think it's best approach when you, when you have gotten that out of the way for yourself. But really, a lot of people were just, because we used to have some lyrics about Bernard Chelsea. <laughs> so a lot of people, a lot of people were nervous about upsetting or burning a bridge. Um, fortunately for me, I only went in once a year for my yearly uh, Telsey pap smear audition. Um, uh, uh, so I didn't really feel like there was a bridge for me to burn in general. So I basically just didn't give a fuck. So I was like, yeah, I'll say it. Um, so, and that's, that's, how, that's how I became a part of A Strange Loop in that way. And it was like a book only reading. And then over the course of, I don't even know how many workshops and readings and, and and that also included me starting out as a different thought in the show mm -hmm. and being and then being shifted over to another thought which was also an amazing gift what sparked to my mind when you said the fear people had about saying a certain industry person's name right like bernard mm -hmm. kelsey mm -hmm. is to me instantly that's an indicator that what you were working on is art because it's yeah. disrupting the mm -hmm. the the normalcy and dis, it's disruptive and art should and be disruptive art should be disruptive did. period and 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 that's did you feel that sizzle immediately mm. just from even something as simple as that yes so so i i felt the sizzle about michael on my journey there, looking at some of the YouTube clips and looking, because they weren't clips from the show, they were just clips of his anthology, from his catalog. I mean, you're like, wow, this guy's really, the music, aesthetically, the music's great. Um, it's funny, it's witty, it's acidic. Um, there, you know, there, there are some, some fuck yous in there, and that mm -hmm. kind of, that goes to, that, uh, that's part of my natural sensibility in general. So I, <laughs> so I immediately was drawn, was drawn to that. Um, uh, and, 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 and then upon hearing and looking and reading the book or the, what the version of Strange Book at that time, it, I just could not believe that this was in a musical. And I was, yes, so the sizzle was there. I remember randomly telling my parents about it the day afterwards and being like, this is going to be something good. And I remember knowing that something was going to happen with this 
regardless of my involvement in it or not, which then caused me to say to myself, then you should stay involved with this as long as you possibly can. Yes. Amazing. Is this a fair assessment? The hyper meta aspect mm -hmm. of the show in of itself is fascinating. Yes. Let alone the themes it dives into. The fact Mm -hmm. that it's about a musical theater writer writing a show about a musical theater writer. Mm -hmm. It's like the forever funhouse mirror. Right. I mean, it's, it's, and that element, and that element was always there. And I think it's always been like maybe the, uh, what is it? The, uh, not a cornerstone, but a foundation, a foundational concept, I guess, mm-hmm. um, of, or construct of the show. I think when, when, when I came apart, when I came about with it and when a, a lot of us did, it was at the moment when Stephen Brackett had come onto the, picture and um the the thing about about bracket that was so great that i think a lot of people one of the main questions that i do get asked about strange loop is um how was it working with Stephen bracket given the fact that he is a white director at the helm of telling a black queer story and i think that's a really valid question if i wasn't if i wasn't in the piece i'd be like how did that happen you know uh, but the reality is, is that based off of an earlier reading, when when Strange Loop was more traditionally cast with across gender and ethnicity, where they, meaning they had white people in it, they had women in it. Um, John Andrew Morrison was always playing the mom. Uh, it was actually Brackett's idea to forego a traditional casting option and suggested to Michael what would happen if the whole entire cast were comprised of black queer bodies as opposed to having white people on stage. That is where things cracked open for Michael. And that's, that is why the majority of us all came in at oh, some point in time on the journey. Yes. So it was a, uh, I guess, traditionally, more traditionally, well, no, traditionally cast musical. Yeah, Straight it up. was. It was. Wow. Yeah. And, then, and, that, and that's, and, and John Andrew Morrison, who brilliantly plays uh, a, a, the I know John Andrew. You know, oh. um, he's been he's been singing periodically from the from from jump from a, from a long time. So, and his performance as the mother is what Stephen was latched onto and said, "Let's try to make that a, a through line throughout," um, which uh, is part of the is one of the reasons why we're all here. Also, one of the things that Stephen did is I say that Stephen didn't really start. He directed in two parts. He didn't start really directing, directing until we got to playwrights. But a lot of Stephen's directing, when we would be in these workshops and and doing all this table work, he just we'd do a scene and he'd just sit back and he'd watch us all talk about it. And he would watch us, you know, figure things out and discuss. And you know, I think there was a level of him being like, I don't know what this is, so y'all just talk. And you know, so by the time we got to playwrights after seven years, he had a wealth of of who he was working with and that perspective. And all he had to do was come in and just kind of like tighten and finesse. Copy that. So what year did Stephen join the process? I'm going to say, so Stephen had already been there when I got there and that was 2012. I'm going to say from what I've been, what I've seen in the timeline, maybe 2010 or 11. So like I would say a good year 
to two years before I got there, maybe even more. Oh, wow. I know the, I know one of the first, one of the, a couple of the first directors that have been named from my, um, Maya Dravis has been one. Uh, Maria Goyanes, who's the artistic director of Willie Mammoth was, mm-hmm. was, um, was at one point had her hands on the project. Um, but yes, I think Stephen had been there enough, long enough to where there was already such a rapport between Michael and Stephen when I, when I got to the process. Yes. Understood. Wow. Yeah. What everything that led up to playwrights, which is all this process, which for anyone listening that isn't actually physically the people who do the productions or, or, or put them on from behind the table, whatever the hell that means. Uh, the, it just goes to underline what a process it is and what a miracle every show is. Mm-hmm. Was the process once you got picked up by playwrights pretty quick? It's standard. Like mm-hmm. it was the two weeks, one week of tech. Um, we had a lengthy preview process though. But also you have to remember that prior to that, we had had, you know, we had had a number of lengthy workshops, whether they be some, some were three weeks, some were two from the time in August, the August before August of 2018, when we found out that we were going also with seven years of, of this knowledge of this piece. So like, at least musically, with the exception of a little finessing and some and new things, musically we already knew. Let's say eighty five percent of the score by by heart because we've been singing it for forever. You know, mm. um, the sh- I think the true shift happened particularly for the thoughts once Raja came in as a choreographer. A few, mm-hmm. I think a, two years before, because that's when we started the work of figuring out how do thoughts present themselves, how do they move, how do they stage what are they how are they physicalized that's that for me was one of the biggest shifts for all of us is once raja came in what does that mean what does it mean to be a thought and and when you say thought uh, to clarify to the audience do you mean t-h-o-t or t-h-o-u-g-h-t yes yes <laughs> did everyone catch that yeah yes, yes. Um, and actually, uh, will you let the the children know what mm-hmm. was the uh, article that you published? Oh, sure. So um, Jacques Lamar, friend of mine, he asked me to write an article about my experience about a strange loop, and it could really be anything. It, it was super vague in terms of what he meant. It actually took me a, a long time to figure out what I was going to write about, and I just you know kept going back to this this moment when I had in rehearsal where I was just really frustrated with myself because just something felt not right and authentic, you know? Basically, the article is about me connecting with my, with my sissy. If you are queer, particularly if you're, if you're a, a man that identifies as gay, you know, sissy is a word that could trigger something for you. You know, for some people, it's faggot, whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. sissy is that part of us that we, at some point in time, hide away or tuck away or get rid of uh, because it's caused us a lot of trauma. But that sissy is also the person or the element of us that is responsible for our imagination and our freedom and our, our, our 
whimsy fierceness Whim- yeah. yes and the all, whimsy. All, all of those the things whimsy. All it is an amazing things. article and actually everyone this is a a plug but i'm to just so this could be an actionable resource for everyone i'm going to post this in our link in our instagram so find us at uh 4fs underscore podcast and i'm going to put the link to that article i can tell you safely this was before the the podcast had even happened i i reached out to you i was so moved by that article because you articulated so many things about being a gay man and that thing that everyone fears about gay men which is the feminization or the sissiness Mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. a man which is all tied into the fact that people are misogynist and they don't think it's okay to be a woman right you know yes. because they they view femininity as weakness which is a yeah. some deep dark bullshit and therefore men in their massive insecurities see any man that is not stereotypically fucking mm-hmm. hunts in the woods fights bull or whatever the fuck people think masculinity is and really let's just right. be real that's a very American kind of masculinity too. Absolutely. I remember Absolutely. The first, time, first time I went to Italy and I saw these kids looking like fucking editorial ads walking through the piazza, <laughs> just like tipping yes. their way through. And I'm like, that is, that is not how we see men. No, you know, these it's not living their lives in tailored clothes. And I remember thinking, wow, like my th- version of, masculinity is so skewed by a christian fundamental patriarchy yeah and, and, I, and, love, and, and, and I love the way you 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 really express that in the article i think every everyone in the in the show had some sort of little journey or some sort of little thing or saturn that they had to come back to in the process of rehearsing for for playwrights i know that the conversations i had with myself and antoine hopper specifically who who's thought six um, who was brilliant as as Inwood Daddy and and uh, also a, ver- a version of Usher's dad in the show. Originally, conceptually, the the thoughts were on a spectrum, and if you look at the character breakdown, there is a spectrum of feminine feminine to to, to masculine. With with thought six and five, myself being the most masculine of the thoughts, masculine presenting. Um, so when we got to actually start physicalizing. Antoine and I had a lot of conversations about when and where we should be feminine and when we should be masculine. I remember asking Rasha that a lot. Just releasing that it didn't matter. It could happen whenever, particularly because both our features, our main features, were more masculine presenting features. Mm-hmm. So when you say features, do you mean your physical features or your features in the show in terms of material? Features, thank you for that. Features in the show and come in terms of material. Because mm-hmm. um, everyone, everyone, I think has two main features in the show mm-hmm. uh, where they get to shine, and so ours were very on the masculine presenting side. So the balance of how the rest of our show was and when we could choose to explore that and bring our sissy, our sissy to the stage. Oddly enough, was a challenge and it was an exercise in releasing and being okay with the fact that we were allowed to do that. I remember telling Antoine one day, think about how many conversations we've had about just wanting someone to give us the chance to actually play gay and be gay in a piece. And now we're, we're, now we're confused and scared to actually do that. What's wrong with us? Hello. What is wrong with us? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Why are we so pressed? Oh my God. And this, this really goes into a narrative you and I have been talking about just as two humans, uh, the fear, the fear and identifying whatever that fear 
is. Mm-hmm. What I'm so in awe of with your process with this show is it seems to me that Michael, I whenever I call like these really well-known artists by their first name, it always like implies that like if we go to brunch, but I'm just going to call Michael <laughs> Michael as opposed to yeah. Mr. R. Jackson, although he right, might appreciate right. that. I don't know, Michael. Um, You would know. Um, The thing that Michael seems to have created, which is so exciting to me, is they've opened up this arena for something that's more than the sum of its parts in terms of what happens generally in musical theater where you now as an artist you've been given an arena to facilitate a genuine mm -hmm. journey as an artist as a man as a queer gay identifying human being to Uh express yourself and on top of that you actually get to express yourself according to being a black man like what i mean morning class hello so, oh, a, a, a number of things a number of things happened during this uh, at, at, uh that i realized at the end of the process of, of playwrights horizons that um have now established for me a standard of how i work or how i want to feel about something that i'm working on right so the first thing that happened that i realized that i wish everyone had the experience of is encountering something a piece whether it's in this beginning stages or not or hopefully it's in the beginning stages encountering a piece that you instinctually feel you are right about like the one thing that i'm so happy about is that i can say to myself and for myself to anyone's face I was right. (laughs) I was right. And when I say right, I was right about two things. I was right about the piece being something great. I knew it. Mm -hmm. I was also right about ensuring that I felt like for the cast that it was, the piece also needed to be, have me in it as well. Yes. I was right. You know? Um, And, and, and it does and it, it, it doesn't mean that I didn't that I put all my eggs in the basket. It just meant that I that I sat with myself and put and and and, and did a pros and cons this about prioritizing it in my life. There were plenty of times when I got gigs that I went away from where I wasn't able to be a part of certain mm-hmm. inc- uh, incarnations of it, but I made sure and I made wanted to in, I invested in that piece. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to to be a part of something where you are in a place where the leadership is here mm-hmm. for whatever you have to bring to the table. Um, the cast is here for whatever you have to bring to the table. You're constantly around people who are, who are supportive of the talent that's in the room and making sure that that happens. Um, uh, being a part of a show where you can feel, a sh- you can feel audience members finally being like, that's what I've been waiting for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like passing strange was very much like that for me, and you know, I definitely feel, realized that I was in somebody that I am in someone else's passing stretch. Oh, that's that's not that's that's not lost on me at all. That's thrilling, and and from what I hear, um, I've never I've never worked in the space, but mm-hmm. it seemed like the perfect fit because Playwrights Horizons has such a reputation of being exactly that a safe ground for fostering new voices that they seem to be very like all the support is there 
Yeah, my my experience with Playwrights Horizons was, I mean, it was great. Like it, it was a perfect dream, uh, a experience of lore. You know what I'm saying? Like you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I, I must kind of like, is this what it must have felt like to be in a chorus line or Hamilton? Wow. Sitting in the park with George, yeah. Also, the thing about it is, too, is that by the time well, I, I I say this, I don't know how my other castmates feel, but by the time we got to playwrights, yes, it was kind of just like, oh my god, this is so cool. But it wasn't like, oh my god, thank you guys so much for for helping us do this. It was more kind of like, y'all late. Thank you for catching up. Mm-hmm. We 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 as a group did have such a sense of confidence just because we just been working on it for so long. Yes. You know. And it seems to me that it's, it's well, I'm not going to say it's rare, but it feels rare, at least in terms of lore and what ends up on stage once things really go to a house that's going to fully actualize a production. Yeah. That the majority of the cast that's been hanging tough and developing the piece actually ends up on stage. It's very rare. It's very rare. And when it does happen, that's why it makes the news. You know, and the one thing about, you know, playwrights that anyone who just with two eyes who sees their the work that they they foster there, uh, the resources are lit. You know, yeah. I'm always so taken aback when I go in that fucking space, like the main mm-hmm. the main play space. I don't forget the mm-hmm. name right now, sorry. And I'm like, damn, like the way yeah. they, the yeah. way they utilize the design of that space always mm-hmm. dumbfounds me. It dumbfounds me. Like when I think about the fact that Bella was on that same stage. Did you see Bella, Tall American Tale? I did not. Dude, there's a there, that that show had a damn turntable. Well, actually, when I saw Mankind, it had a turn. Did you see yeah. Mankind? With yes. Fields? Holy shit! Anyway, that with that that the way they they staged that in some like weird post-apocalyptic fucking futuristic world with like moving set pieces and like a turntable. I was like, wait, what's happening? I just realized, I, I just, I just realized when you said that, that that was the same stage. If you would have asked me, yes. I would like, no, that's a different, that's a different, completely different space. Yeah. I, I, I just realized it's the same stage. It's the same one. Where, where was the play? The one that took place in church? Shit. The Christians. The Christians. The same fucking mm-hmm. place that the Christians happened. And then I saw Nora. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've seen, we've all seen a bunch of stuff there. Playwrights Horizons. Keep, keep, keep it up, please. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, how exciting to also be so taken care of in terms of resources. Yeah. Resources. And, and, and it, was just, it was just an experience where I, I'm, I, am, I am positive it will never, something like that will never happen again. There's no way, there's no way it could, honestly. Um, but the, 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 it's kind of like the feeling of like the difference between, you know, growing up, growing up an eighties, nineties kid, right? Mm-hmm. The difference between looking something up on a smartphone mm-hmm. and getting a quick answer, as opposed to going to an encyclopedia and forging and finding the answer yourself. Oh my God. Amen. That's what it's like. Amen. I talk about that all the time. You know, like I, I'm, we, yeah. you and I, uh, and we've talked about this in past episodes, everyone. TikTok, go mm-hmm. back, listen. Um, <laughs> you know, both of us being 79ers, I think, right? You're a 79er? I'm, a, I'm an 80. In 80. 79, 80. It's all, <laughs> yeah. We didn't grow up with technology. Yeah. You know, my grandmother, thank God nothing ever happened to me, but my grandmother dropped me off at the library. And, yeah. And, you know, we ran through the aisles and went on like microfiche to find shit out. And, and that's where I really, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really where, 
my mind, you were inside of what now is the internet. It was a physical exploration of the research yeah. of information. And as a young theater kid, mm -hmm. to discover that, oh, well, it was yeah. so priceless. That's a, what a wonderful analogy. It really, it really, it really, it really is like the um, and it, it, to say it's kind of like yes, you could, you could do a show that like there's a couple of workshops and then it goes to Broadway and then it also wins all these awards and that's mm -hmm. also yeah, this is gratifying, but going on a journey where it's taking you time to crack a code when you finally crack the code and when it ends up it's just there's just nothing like it there's just well, nothing like just to see just to see to see and feel like bracket bracket on the first day of playwrights were playwrights rising's rehearsal said something i thought was brilliant um you know he's that this piece is very lived in he's like but there's a lot of people in this room whose DNA is already in the piece. Mm -hmm. I never thought of it like that, but we, when I look around at the, the group of people that I worked on this show with, um, and those, that group of people uh, being El Morgan Lee, James Jackson, John Andrew Morrison, John Michael Lyles, Antoine Hopper, and Larry Owens, um, amongst countless others who have come and gone. Uh, uh, when I look around at that group of people, all I see is, um, oh my God, all I see is them, you know, mm -hmm. um, in every room from downtown Playwrights Horizons to, uh, to sometimes at Ripley Greer to some places at NYU to the music theater factory, porn studios, you know, like all I see is just a group of nine people usually, mm -hmm. just um, including Bracket just talking about things, working things out, peeking, laughing, you know, uh, switching things up, trying new characters, all those things, you know. I treasure the fact that I, that I can look back on something so fondly, so fondly. I mean, what a gift to have something that literally you wear as a second skin in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's what anyone could ever hope for. And, and with that too, I think that's where, as an example of that, it's going to be interesting to see what's being developed now and why mm -hmm. with everything that's being brought to the light in terms of the issues within the commercial yeah. theater monster, right? Mm -hmm. That, to me, what needs to be fostered is development. What needs to be fostered yes. is the money and the resources and eventually the space for development because the mm -hmm. development is everything. The development is everything. Well, this is, and this is the thing, I think this thing that, that, I, that I mentioned on the last episode at the tail end is I, I was like, you know, this is the thing that I would like to impart on people in reference to um, the change that is being asked to happen and required to happen in, in, in the world of theater, right? Um, as someone who, for a number of reasons, bet on black. I'm going to call it bet on black, right? I mean, when I say bet on black, betting on myself, betting on Michael R. Jackson, betting on this cast, betting on this piece, betting on black. Mm -hmm. And continue to bet on black. Maybe sometimes at the behest of behest, maybe sometimes over a paycheck or because I didn't have anything, you know, sometimes there wasn't a paycheck coming through in terms of theater. My question to a lot of folks in, the, in this is like, in this process of what's of what um of this change that we're requiring uh, 
white American theater to do. What are you willing to, to give up for a period of time until that happens, A? And what are you willing to bet on? Because the thing about it is, is that truth be told, truth be told, a lot of us who are part of Strange Loop maintain being a part of Strange Loop and why, why they stuck with us because we stuck with them. Mm-hmm. Say it again. <laughs> a lot, a lot, one of the main reasons why, aside from our obvious gifts and talents, mm-hmm. um, why the cast of Strange Loop is the cast of Strange Loop is because we kept saying yes. We didn't say no tonight. And I'm sure... We didn't say no. <laughs> yes, and, and, and with that, now this isn't to say, I want to preface it with this, that one does not deserve to make mm-hmm. a living off of their craft. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you said yes to a lot of that as the thing that is our currency, which is an investment of your fucking time and an yes. investment of the time of the team who also is not getting fucking paid to create something. Right, right. Yes. Amen. I'm not Amen. saying all the times, but I'm sure that a lot of those times it was that. Right. And, 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 I, and I think and, and what, I, what I think that Strange Loop, again, this is when I say talk about something that has created a standard. So I, sometimes I'd even say spoiled. You know, I've been spoiled in this way in the fact that, like, for two things. One, in general, the cast of Strange Loop, or what became the cast of Strange Loop, it wasn't necessity. For a lot of us, it was an option, an only option, something to, to give us hope. Because, and I'm saying this as someone who's, who's been on both sides of the fence of being in the magical world, Emerald City of Broadway, and mm-hmm. not. You know, it's very easy to also stick by something um and invest in something when uh the bigger shinier projects are knocking down your door to begin with you know so my perspective on what i cherished in the theater industry and business was different and i'm so blessed that it was because i i for the past seven years i have been working on something that not one Broadway piece that I've been in, but that, that I've auditioned for, been in callbacks for. There, there's been a, a lot of amazing things that have been on Broadway in the past seven years. None of them have ever been a strange loop. None of them. Mm. If you gave me an example of shows that are fantastic, yeah, you know, and I, would I have picked strange loop? Yes. In terms of what is a better piece and what I, what I want to be a part of, absolutely. Of course, I'm going to give you probably a check. Mm. But... I was not seeing anything that was living up to that. So for me, I was always going to bet on that because I had had the experience of someone writing for me, mm-hmm. telling our stories, all that shit that we say that we want. It's funny that when it's presented to us and how it's presented to us, what we choose to do with it when that happens. Now, not everyone's been presented a strange loop, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping that what a lot of my brothers and sisters, what they will see and find is that when you A, bet on black and stick with black, look what happens when you marinate something for seven years. Look what happened, y'all. Look what happened when, 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 when a group of people kept saying yes to something. Look what happened. It took a long time, but look what happened. You know? And, 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 and I'm not saying don't explore other options or don't go to Broadway, don't have a dream. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But now that, now that we're all shifting things, it's time for all of us to actually figure out a, what is your actual standard for the kind of work that you want to be a part of? What is the actual standard 
for the boundaries that you have in terms of the work environments that you're going to that you're going to accept being in. What is the act when you when you say, "I want my stories to be so told"? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? I was I've been lucky enough to have that be whittled away and finessed and chiseled for me over the past seven years because I've been able to work on a piece that helps me define the kind of work that I want to, and in that process, also helps define the powers that I have in myself as an artist. I don't think I ever, you know, thought um, I had as much in me as I did when I was doing that show. Because mm. now you can't, because now, now you can't tell us shit now, not that that felicity happened, but maybe you can't tell me a goddamn thing. No. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that's crazy. Like, 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 that's the thing that's crazy. Like, and even all that to say, the Pulitzer was never, I don't think anyone, that when we found out, I was kind of like, wait, what do you mean? And like, like what Pulitzer, an odd Pulitzer, time Pulitzer? to and what an odd time to receive it, right? Like, yeah. To be yeah. like, everyone's like, wah, wah. And then like, wait, what? Right. I mean, that's right. what I imagined. Because like, I, I remember when it got announced, I was like, of all the fucking times all that the time. this whole crew can't show up in person. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So it's, 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 it, you know, and I, and I've, and I've had great experiences in machine commercial theater. Like, you know, I've had, I've, I've run the gamut. So I think, you know, but moving forward for me, what, what's decided is, is that being a part of Strange Loop and also seeing how well it was received by, I'm just going to call it the Emerald City, by the Emerald City, which is the world of, Broadway, theater, elite, all that, you know, the expensive regional theater. Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, the way it was received, it just, it's it's just this weird thing where like, because now, now at this point in time, Strange Loop is no longer this little, this little rebel renegade train that could. Now, now we are the Kelly Kapowski. We're the most popular girl in school. Yes. And you've got the receipts and the accolades to prove it by uh-huh. everyone and it'll be interesting right. to see and i don't want to speculate about it because it's an impossible task right now sure. you know i'm i'm uh, my hope for the piece is that obviously whenever we get to a place of safety again that it continues its journey so that more people can get yeah. the opportunity to see it i would love that you know i also think you know i definitely can speak for the cast when i say this it's also time that we got paid <laughs> Not that we didn't get paid, but sometimes that we got paid, 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 paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, keep keep put your put us on your prayer list for that. If anything, mm-hmm. put on your just ask whatever God you believe in for for checks for the cast of a strange list. Oh, please, please. Um, but I would, but I would, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would love that, and I'm also be, I would also be fascinated to see how a bigger sort of platform, i.e., Broadway, would change the piece in positive ways, negative ways, what happens to the piece, because we are still in a capitalist society, what happens to the piece when it gets to a platform, unless it's not ensured that people of color, particularly black people of color, can see it for, for an affordable price. What happens when, we are, when we're doing the show for a large sector of people who are just rich, old, and white? What does that mean? And what does that mean to, to, do, it, to do it consistently for, you know, it's, you know we had so many... Uh, nights at playwrights where it was black theater night or fear theater night or where you know and, and, and different ways for people to see the show so seeing ourselves in the seats was also just as thrilling for us as it was for people in the seats to see themselves on stage so what would that mean 
to perform that show in a Broadway house and how often would I see me in the, in the seats? It's the big thing, right? It's like, you know, big, yeah. It's like Hamilton has only now become accessible because it's six ninety nine a month. And to, and I want to be clear, like Jason just said, the thing that I, that I will always advocate for, and I'm sure so many mm-hmm. people in the industry advocate for, is you want to see your friends and fellow artists get that paycheck. Yes. And so to not champion someone, I'll never forget my first day of college, my acting professor demystified Broadway. He says, mm-hmm. Broadway is simply the highest paying contract in commercial theater, period. Yeah. And okay. I was like, oh, shit. And mm-hmm. obviously, don't get me wrong, the mythology, the history, the lore. It is magic. It is yes. magic, right? But yeah, he demystified it, it in the sense of like what ultimately makes that different on paper. And yeah. so in that sense, everyone wants to be on it. Otherwise, people wouldn't be fighting and creating committees mm-hmm. to tell people how to make it better. But it is an interesting right. thing to see what happens with work in terms of accessibility to an mm-hmm. audience. It is the great conundrum, isn't it? It is. And I, and, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, sometimes I wonder, it, it, it now, you know, I don't, it's so weird for me that, you know, when people ask my opinion about things for like the younger, the youth ask my opinion. Which, it's hard for me because I, I, you know, I was a Broadway kid. I, you know, of course, being, dreams of being on Broadway were, are, were there and still are, man. So of I don't course. want, but now it's like what I want to go to Broadway with, you know what I'm saying? Fair. Um, but but I, I I have a hard time also not infusing my advice about Broadway with the reality. And I'm trying to be realistic about Broadway, not to kill anybody's dreams, but to keep you sane and to keep you healthy. Mm-hmm. I think you can have a dream about being on Broadway, but also realize that like Broadway ain't nothing Broadway ain't nothing but a regional theater with more money, honey. Mm. The same the, a Broadway show can still be a mess from the inside out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I promise you. Even even some of the hit shows that are that are the most lauded shows, work at them for a week, and you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, and actually, Damn. it's interesting you should say that. Every now and then, to get perspective, I would go through the mm-hmm. Playbill Vault and look at shit yeah. with major names that was like fourteen performances, twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just, uh, yeah. it's, it's it is a avenue, no pun intended. Yes. Often, shit goes very wrong. Mm-hmm. You're very wrong don't get me wrong I it, mean, is the, it is the creme de la creme in terms of like actually I'm going to take that back is it the creme de la creme I think creme de la creme can be interpreted in, in, in a number of ways I think creme de la creme for me means a few things um, there are when I, it can literally mean the cream of the crop and I've seen it, you know, there, there are, you know, but also a lot of people that I think of the cream of the crop are people that work on multiple stages besides Broadway stages. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in terms of what it takes stamina wise, physically and mentally to do a large commercial production, eight shows a week. Normally that's not including the holiday schedule now. Damn. Holiday schedule to do that. That in itself, whether you're a star or someone who's efficient and proficient, is the creme de la creme. Yes, in terms of athleticism, one million percent. In terms of the sheer athleticism and the commitment, 
It is astounding, which I think is a great segment. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back because I I do want to talk to you about what that must have been like as Jason coming from tour and then moving on Broadway with one of Mm -hmm. the biggest commercial productions, uh, maybe of all time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely outside of Cameron Macintosh. Hello. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Salazar. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. There's a lot happening in the world right now. So rather than take a commercial break, I thought we would take a moment to recalibrate. How does that sound? Good. So relax and take a deep breath in. And now a deep breath out. Now close your eyes and breathe normally. Feeling better? Good. Let's get back to the show. You <laughs> not add too much, too much undertone. Okay. All right, everyone. <laughs> we are back. <laughs> um, we're. I think we're gonna start the second part of this podcast just called tea time and that will be on patreon i'm going to keep mentioning patreon to get you kids to come so we're back with jason vc um it has been an incredible discussing the strange loop with you i feel very lucky and i'm very happy that you all get to hear this so let's talk to the opposite side of that seven years living your life Mm -hmm. dna production cut to going backwards to you mm-hmm. getting inside the belly of the beast mm-hmm. with let's focus on when you moved to the city with it. Wait, was it national tour then Broadway or, or vice versa? Yeah, it was, it was, it was tour then Broadway. National tour then Broadway to Lion King. What? Okay. So yeah. to yeah. unpack that, first of all, you're on Broadway and I'm on Broadway. It, it had to be. The it was feedback. everything. Everything. Yeah. It was, and, it was, it was, it was, it was great. It was and this great. was at the Amsterdam? Yeah, no, the, uh, at this point in time, they moved to the Minskoff. They moved to so the I never, I never got, I never got to do the show in the Amsterdam, which, which I wish they did. Cause that, that's, I mean, that's just a magical theater. Aesthetically, uh, it's a magical theater. It, it really is. Um, Minskoff's something to scoff at. Um, no, no, it's not. It's huge. It's fucking huge. It's, it's so big. It's so, it's, like, it's so big. Um, so you get to the Broadway and. Yeah. All these feelings are happening. What uh-huh. would you say once you were doing a show 
in the house that they set it up for that never leaves, right? And you got to take the subway. Right. Uh-huh. What, what were some of the biggest revelations that happened during that experience for you in terms of what it really means now to be in an in-house production on the Broadway that uh, is a commercial beast? Beast, yeah. Beast, yeah. Um, I will say the... The okay, let's talk about the shiny things first. The the shiny things are is that regardless of the any bullshit that's gonna happen in any theater, it the, the it is it is magical to be on Broadway in a show that is always gonna have a packed house. Beloved. That literally the location of it literally looks out onto Times Square. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh like, like, like when you're getting ready to do Be Prepared, the whole cast has to go to the lobby to come in as the hyenas. So we're all, con- you know, we're all kicking out there. But you can literally look out and be like, I work here. That, you know, things like mm. that. You can't, you can't top that. But then there are other things like my literal first performance on Broadway. Okay. It, it's a house that has had people in that show for a very, very long time. Uh, so the way that they run things, in my opinion, is a little more lax there. So, you know, shows are supposed to start at 8, 8.05. We would start, we started the show at like 8.20, 8.25. Wait, Because when they call places, yeah, because when they call places, some of the ensemble members got into the shower. Okay, question. Was that also because of it being such a commercial entity that it also takes forever to get those people's asses in the seats? No, it's because people got into the shower to take a shower when they call places. Can we air that? Say so what? Are we allowed to air that? I've talked about, I've talked about it before. Okay, it's fine. It's been talked about before. Yeah. Right. Meaning, and when I say that, when I say that, it was my first realization. Remember we were talking about cream of the crap? It was my first realization. This is, and this wasn't a standard thing, but it happened, it happened more for my taste. Um, watching the cream of the crop, oops, Watching someone go take a shower at places was me just like, wait, what? Mm. What? Is going on? Like, the level of comfortability and, and lack of things with certain people on Broadway was lack shocking of, to me. Lack of Professionalism. Urgency. Lack of urgency. Lack of ur- urgency. Because, care. T- tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine, especially because it's a moving Mm-hmm. machine literally tour is tight as shit yeah tour is tight I mean, right has that changed tour, tour, i mean oh tour listen no tour tour is, tour is tight tour is if you are not there when they call you they'll cut you from the number or the show for that evening mm. that's what i was used to i was used to tour was a tight ship mm-hmm. you know now obviously there's always you know there's always things that get let slide you know i mean that's that's but that's that's in any Nature sort of theatrical situation mm-hmm. yeah but like tour much tighter ship in terms of like you're not where you're supposed to be where you are great you can you can go home too <laughs> you, you can go home you yeah. know so small things like that was kind of just like oh like because i think when you're on tour it's it's easier to keep a tighter ship because you have to because you're moving in and out of new houses all the time. Yes. So there are all there, there's there's so many variables where you 
certain things just can't happen. We just, we just can't, you know, because, you know, there are people who are your addressers who have literally learned the show in 24 hours from flashcards that they were given about like, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a house that's been established where it's a well-oiled machine, I guess it's easier to adjust for things that aren't, elements that aren't preferable, whether it be, you know, a technical issue or, you know, a cast member that's just been there for a very long time and is tired and doesn't really give a damn. Now, that being said, Mm -hmm. did the thing happen, though, that I always am so fascinated with watching... I, I've been doing I've been doing non-traditional non-proscenium theater for so long now yeah. that mm-hmm. but that magic that happens in a proscenium show where even that fucking person who's like barely dried off they cross out of the wings and all of a sudden it's like pop tarts ding oh, oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah. That, but that's the thing that's amazing too when we talk about creme de la creme mm-hmm. that's something I love about about Broadway or but or and musical theater actors in general in general the, yeah the the switch that this so the switch no you will never know what's going on in a musical theater performer's life at that given moment as soon as that light hits it's you know and and particularly with lion king you know because you know it's i well, mean there's the so many mecha- line, and there's so much mechanics it's a lot when i think about when i think about my time the lion king i'm kind of like how people don't get hurt more doing shows where there's automation and so many things happening backstage and so many people and things hanging above you because of storage and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, a, it's such a busy show. Technically yes. it's a wonder that people get out alive sometimes truly, mm. truly. And I'm not saying that to like, to scare anyone about doing the Lion King, but like any show that has that many technical aspects, moving parts, like, move, little moving parts, let alone the fucking shit that you're moving as a performer with these <laughs> big ass puppets. Oh my Fuck's God. Sake. Oh my God, that damn elephant. Anytime I had to do the elephant, just, oh, just shoot me. Because, so when you um, understudy one of the hyenas, the hyenas are three of the legs and the elephant at the top of the show. Interesting. So when you go on for a hyena, which I covered, you would have to be one of the legs. Um, And the hyenas are usually very short people. Oof. And I'm not so. How tall are you, Jason? Tell the kids. I'm six. I'm six three. Yeah. I'm six three. So there were there were times on tour, depending on the house, um, if there's a balcony where I would have to enter and do and do the the elephant on my knees. I would have to do this mm. on my knees, and then when we got from underneath the balcony, then I could stand up. And I would still have to adjust again to make sure that the elephant was, was even. But I would have to d- enter in as the elephant on my knees until, until we got out. Singing, yeah. by the way. Singing. Yeah. Singing for, for, and, and, for, for the singing Lord. And, sing, sing, well, actually, when you're that, that leg, you, know, you, you, you get out of singing, which is great, until you get on stage because you're the one calling out all the commands of lifting up to go up the steps and making sure that you're not running into the audience mm-hmm. and then doing you're, 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 the, you're the pilot of the ship calling mm-hmm. out commands and like screaming, no! Uh, lift up! Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Oh my God. It's so, and that's, I, and that's, I'm and obsessed. That's you, I'm obsessed then, with these then, mechanics. I'm obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And then like, even like going up the steps, just like, if one person trips. Oh yeah. You kidding me? That paper and it's like paper mache, basically, right? 
it's like a thicker paper mache, yeah. like almost like the plastic sacks that make like those, that plastic fibrous material that comes that um, potatoes can come in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fragile enough to where it can rip. Tougher than paper mache, but definitely not. And steel. I'm certain there was at least once or twice where it did not go well. <laughs> you need to see his face. <laughs> oh my god, are you kidding me? Oh my god, that's so terrifying. Oh, I oh my god, so everyone talks about the no fly alphaba, but yo, how about the ripping no, elephant? But a dead elephant, or a dead elephant, or, 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 or a giraffe that falls. I mean, what, like, with a giraffe that, I mean, what is the stage manager even? Are they just, like, hold? I mean, you can't hold, can you? It's just, like, giraffe down. All right. I think, it, I, think, I, think it, I think it depends on, the only time I've ever seen the giraffe fall was during, it, it has a little cross, the contingency plan. They don't stop the show. The actor is just told to just let it happen and splay out. And then someone literally just drags them off. Drags them off stage. <laughs> Preferably someone dressed with, with, with grass on their head. I can't yeah, no, make it. No, someone in, someone in black. Just, so then you just so then you have to wait while this big giraffe is just so I can't make it. Oh, I live for that shit. I know it's not right, but I do. I live for it. Oh, my God. It's the it, best part it's, about the, it's the It's the army of theater, right? The oh, best. God. Oh, it's, so it's also it's also too because you know it's also it's also one of my favorite things about Lion King um, is you know so black folks in general <laughs> um, we don't wait, we're not going to wait around to see what's happening so like the whole like press through the show must go on thing is not it doesn't really run rampant in the black community so like what I love about Lion King is that one person sees something awry and they walk off stage. Black folks don't ask questions. We ask questions later. We all walk on off stage. There, the, the, the amount of times that there was one time where there, the fog machine went nuts, like where you couldn't see anything, and they cleared it. And when when they kind of got it cleared, you realized the stage was empty because all the black folks were kind of like, "Oh no, oh no, 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 <laughs> no, no, Mm-mm. no, stop the show. We're gonna no. I'm not no. We're not Mm-mm. gone. When we were in San Antonio one time. And there were bats in the house. Oh shit! When I, I a bat came under my grass hat and tapped, and I hoisted up my grass skirt and walked off from center stage, walked <laughs> all the way off. No questions asked. Didn't, didn't, didn't explain nothing. Walked off stage, and behind me are about ten other people being like, "Saw that too. Not going to do it. No." Nope. Picking up the grass dirt and walk the fuck off Bounce. stage. Walk the stage. I walk cannot the stage. take it. Oh, I can't take it. No, no. Uh, a bat? A bat? No. No. No, because what have we learned about bats? They're literally vampires. They are riddled with disease. No, no, no. No, no. Mm-mm. No, absolutely not. You think it's bad when, a, when like a moth flies in your mouth when you're doing summer theater outdoors and you're just right. like, well... Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Moe. But, <laughs> you, know, but just, you know, you know that one of the things, my, my most valuable lessons I learned from, from doing Lion King, and I actually learned this before I got to Broadway, is that there is, if you're someone like me, like, I think anyone can be fierce when they have no boundaries. Mm-hmm. But I think people who are truly ferocious, when you go into a show that's already been established for a very long time, 
And it's a show where they're like, it's not about your talent. You're, you're, you're never going to be so talented that you change the way that they view something in the Lion King. Oh, when it's, it's greater than the type, sum of its parts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, but when someone gives you a box and you can find something cool within that, mm. that is, that is where, you, where you can see where your training is or where your instincts lie. You know, I actually didn't feel stifled by the corporateness of, of how they approached the show. Mm-hmm. I felt very challenged by it. I think maybe my little rebellious house kind of is like, I know you say that this, there is this box. But you didn't say what I could do if I stay in the box, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I remember thinking that when I first moved to the city, when pterodactyls brought me in from California. Um, <laughs> no, and, you know, I didn't know any better. And Joe, the Joe Papp, you know, standing room was everywhere still that the last yeah. couple of years of it. And so, you know, I it's kind of like, you know, there's that famous... What did she say in Sex in the City? She's like, there would be nights I couldn't afford to eat, so I got Vogue because I just thought it fed me more. Well, there would yeah. be days where I'm like, well, I'm broke, and um, but I do have 20 bucks. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll just get a slice and go see Broadway. And going sometimes almost... In, there were some shows I saw like 17 times in a row just because it was there was always standing room. And getting right. to see the the beast of broadway over and over again sometimes the same show i was so fascinated by exactly that watching people within the confines of a frozen tracked show mm-hmm. find mm-hmm. their zhuzh yeah. and their fierceness and it was it, that was so fascinating for me to watch and also frankly too seeing shows that many time that many times sometimes seeing it fail and it was when i first realized i'm like oh this machine is fallible. And yeah, oh it, my God. And it's fallible because it's just people. And you shouldn't, and you know, what's interesting is that one would only know that if you had the luxury of seeing something over and over again, or you're in it, right? Yes, I, one time, yes. I, I, when I was working as a concierge and I opened up the Hudson Hotel as a young person, I don't know why they gave me that oh job. Oh my God. But they, yeah, exactly. We, we got to become friends with all the Disney theatrical people because obviously they're trying to have us hawk the tickets, right? Right. So they just liked us. And so all, all the time they'd be like, Hey, we got Aida tickets. You guys want to go tonight? What are you doing tonight? We, we, we have house, we have tickets. So this was happening all the time. And like, I saw like Rocky Horror. And those, are, and, 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 and those are all shows that I would see if they were free, I would see them over and over again. I would see Aida all the time. Oh my God. And so one, exactly. So one time, you know, I saw, and so, so I saw, you know, I took to my entire staff to go see like Beauty and the Beast and like we did all this stuff. But I remember there was one time where, you know, I forget what the young lady's name was, but she was so nice to us. She's like, Aaron, what are you doing? Do you want to go see Aida? Can you go to the matinee? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I can go. It was like a day off. She's like, just, okay, I'm going to leave you. I have like, I'm going to leave like eight seats. So I like, you know, back then you had to actually call people. Call people. So I'm like right. calling people and actually doing the thing where you run around Hell's Kitchen and we're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, remember those days? Literally yeah, like yeah. buzzing people and like them looking out their windows and being like, yo, queen, what are you doing? Do you want to go see Well, I guess yes. I can that class. Yeah. So I was like running around hawking tickets. And one day I saw Aida. I got to go to the matinee and then no one was taking the seats. I'm like, I'm not fucking not going to the show. So I went to the matinee and then the evening show. And what I was so astounded oh by was God. that show was everything with Heather. I saw yeah. her, but Heather it just oh, that original cast. If you if you saw if you saw Heather, then you understand why she got that Tony. If you oh, saw her, fuck what uh, you've heard. Yeah, it, if you saw her, everything. And and then I paid 
a hundred plus dollars to sit in the fourth row bathed in tears seeing her up close so yeah seeing that really was a turning point for me it was watching that cast go the fuck off at two mm-hmm. coming yeah. back at eight and somehow they went off more even more <laughs> Yeah. And you know what we what we all now know as people who had to repeat performances and also direct them is mm-hmm. exhaustion almost makes you fiercer because you're yeah. like, well, I mean, I'm just gonna put it all out right now. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, it's the end of Act mm-hmm. One, and um, yeah. I know that in about you know forty nine to fifty seven minutes, I'm gonna be having a drink or eating something. So yeah. it was just astounding to me to watch that happen. And in particular with, you know, the company you worked for. Um, mm-hmm. So those are all the the awesome, shiny things. Well, maybe not about the Broadway. I mean, that actually wasn't everything. But what were also but some I, things I, that, were, that really, that were a revelation to you as a, as a freshly broadway actor? Um, uh, things that were revelations. Um, that... Dep- depending on the show, if you're walking into a hit show like like that in a long running show, um, I was used to theater uh, being automatic, and it is still communal, but being a little bit more social, especially when you're on tour, you are each other's family because you're oh. going to cities, right? But yeah. when you but when you get to a show with people who have been there for a long time, it's a job, mm. you know. Um, like it, uh, Lion King on tour didn't feel like a job until I left the tour and it only felt like a job just because I was, I was bored, you know what I'm saying? So, so like I, I had exhausted all the things that I could figure out with the show. Um, with, after my, I made my Broadway debut, it literally felt like a job in the sense that like, there are people who I did the show with for a long time that I've never had a full conversation with. And that, and, and for me, as a social person and a community oriented person, that was, it wasn't hard. It was just a new adjustment and it wasn't personal. It was never like people were not warm. They just, they've been doing, they've been going to that building for six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years. They refer to these shows, uh, by the way, anyone who doesn't know as like mm-hmm. government jobs. Yeah. They're government there. jobs. Yeah. It's like a government. Right. Job. So some of them, they, they're like, they're like, listen, Great job tonight, Jason. If that, I got to go home. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, mm-hmm. so that, that revelation of, of that it feels like a job doesn't mean that, it's, that there's, there's, there's any less passion, but it doesn't feel the, the summer theater camp element was definitely gone right away. Copy that. Did you find that you learned a lot from watching some of the principles? Because those numbers are hard. Um, yeah. Did, what, did you find it interesting watching... <sighs> them navigate just through the physical reality of it well obviously you're navigating through it as well did you find it to be a learning experience in that sense yeah i did i and by the time i got to broadway i i it was more about learning how different people push through and navigate those things um the thing about the thing that's crazy about the lion king specifically is that um the majority of the principals are on stage much less than the ensemble. Like Mufasa's only on stage for like 14 minutes and 37 seconds total. Yeah. Nala's on stage, I think, for 
a little bit a little bit more than that simbas adult simbas on stage for maybe i think a total of like 20 something minutes rafiki is like maybe a half hour tops so mm-hmm. in terms of what those principals have to do when they're on stage is intense but those motherfuckers be chilling mm. like scars on stage the longest you know oh, uh, interesting. so yes here's the thing there there there's there's the thing about the title of the lion king is that it refers to three different people it refers to simba his father mufasa and Scar, but Scar is the one that's the king, the longest in the piece. Yes, because it is essentially, it is the Creon, it is the Hamlet. It, that's, yes, That's what's absolutely. happening there. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same thing. So I, I do say that like there is a comfortability on Broadway because you have the luxury of being in the same environment and having all the same variables. What I learned truly about doing Broadway is that Broadway is definitely hard, mm-hmm. but I think doing the tour is harder. I think doing a tour is harder. You're constantly having to shift your environment. You're constantly having to shift everything. So that was that was a realization. Also, how do I say this? The real the realization that on Broadway audiences there are times when I was doing the show on Broadway, it's kind of just like, oh, y'all just got these tickets to just be able to sit down somewhere. One million percent. To sit down somewhere. Oh yeah, like it, 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 it's literally to like a television show to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which look, look, man. I mean, that's the gig on Broadway. Yeah, a lot of the time. I have something that I want to touch on. This, this whole episode just might be us giving you kids all theater, and then the next, uh, <laughs> our final episode, maybe that's really where we. Oh, anyway, okay. So, um, where has the time all gone to? Um, so. Casting. Casting. Okay. Oh, in terms of blanking? Yeah. Now, I, okay. this is just hitting me. So, Scar uh-huh. is, has we, the most stage time. Uh-huh. Isn't it fascinating that in a show set in Africa, an actor who, correct me if I'm wrong, is traditionally cast as a white man? Traditionally. Mo- no, 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 no. Has the most always, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, does that thing. track? Does that track ever change ethnicities anymore? Nope. Does that open it, it, up? No, there's, there's, there's a thing. There's, this is the, this is the gag. Uh, the majority of principles in The Lion King have always been played, and until further notice, will be played by white men. So the thing is, Scar played by white men. Now there's been Scar. There are there've been Scar covers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Uh, that are black, and, uh, but Scar, Zazu, Timon, Pumbaa, and traditionally Ed, the hyena, um, traditionally Ed, the hyena, um, are played by white men. I know that um, uh, on Broadway, it's a uh, Latinx man and has been for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. Uh, but usually it's a white, it's a, it's a white man. Um, the majority of men that I know that got into Lion King as white men were readers for the auditions. Because people think, like I've told all my friends, my white men, my white straight male friends, well, straight, they're usually straight too. Um, I was like, just go to a Lion King audition. They're like, why would I go to a Lion King audition? It's a black show. And it's like, you think it's a black show, but it's not. The, most, the, the men that were the most makeup in the show, the white men. 
Like, you can be a white man, you can be Scar to Moon, and walk out of the stage door and nobody know a thing. Mm-hmm. You know? But even aside from that, up until a certain period of time, Simbas, like, it, was, it took them a long time before they had a chocolate Simba. Wait, what? Yeah. What? Simba's, Simba's, Simba's a light skin track. I see what you're saying. Okay. Simba's a light skin track. Bonsai is a dark skin track. It is rare, barring if a cover goes on, having a Simba and a Nala who are in the same shade range. No, it's not going to happen. Hmm. It's going to be one or the other. One's going to be light skin, one's going to be dark skin. And you found that from even rotating people, I'm sure, during your tenure. Con- conversations, rotating, you can, look at the, you can look at the patterns. I mean, there's literally never been, I can't think of one black man that's ever covered Timon or Pumbaa. Maybe Frank Wright, maybe even, for even, a, even any other POC actor? If there's been a POC actor, if they've covered, maybe. Have, has, there been ever, has there ever been a POC actor that's been Timon? And if they are, they, if they are, it was in, it was in another country, like a Brazilian country, or their white yeah. house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, no, like, there has never been a black man contracted to play the role of Scarry Chosawee. There has never been a black man, in my, to my knowledge, playing Timon or Pumbaa um, or Zazu. Or Latin or Asian or... Yes, and, and, and if they're Latin or Asian, that has happened, but in a Latin and Asian company of the Lion King, since there have been so many, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, like when they had the Brazil company and, and I think they had a Mexico company. Yeah. But in terms of here, no, mm-hmm. no. No one would ever think that no. five of the no. principal characters are played by white men. Always. It is, the, it, is, it, is, it is one of the cushiest gigs for white men in musical theater. And, and particularly, particularly, white men that aren't usually in musical theater because depending on the role, you don't have to be an amazing singer to be those, to be those tracks. A lot of times... It's really the, about the charisma. Scar, charisma. The, the, the scars, mm-hmm. they, 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 want, they want men who have Shakespeare all over their damn resume. Yeah. The Yaleys and the Juilliards, those, that's, that, that's a, it's a great... There used to be a, uh, it's a, a joke um, for like a, a leading man from, if you're from a grad school, particularly like the, the, the mafias, Yale, Juilliard, a, a baby's first gig is the Lion King. A lot of times you'll have a, a guy who graduated straight from Yale or Juilliard and they're either a scar or they're a scar, or a scar standby. It's a perfect Damn. gig for them because they're also younger so they can handle the physical aspects. The physical aspects. Yeah. But I mean, but even, but even, even in terms of like the um, characterizations of Zazu and the six Zazu and Scar, they are the more westernized characters, the posh, the English, the class, and the way that they cast them is different. I mean, take it, take it this, even this way too. They always have the actress playing Scar are always older than the actress playing Mufasa, yes. even though Scar is the baby brother. Yes. That weight, that gravitas, that Shakespeare is old man, is old and white. I don't know whose brains are exploding right now, but <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's some of you out there. Um, what what an incredible insight, which leads me wanting to talk more about casting. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I know, uh, Jason and I have been talking about just as humans, 
when I say humans, I mean like not on air, um, mm-hmm. is that weird time in history that has, we're barely getting out of it where any actor who was not white was kind of cast as other. <laughs> yeah. And within that, everything that sort of comes out of that. And then another thing that we want to touch on in this next episode that I think is going to just have to happen is discussing the current climate in terms of activism and the way it's being played out on our social media platforms. But you know, Jason, I think we're going to have to do that on the next episode. I think this was the episode Listen. where we served the children. Theestra. We do, we listen, we accomplished our goal. It was definitely theater centric. It was theater centric and you got some real inside tea there. I mean, come on, that is that is everything. Jason, this has been incredible. This has been an incredible episode. Thank to you. Look at theater. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to look back at, at a strange loop as that show. And yeah. also look to go to the flip side of that and look at one of the biggest commercial entities that will, I'm sure, rival the years that the Phantom of the Opera has been playing, right? Uh, without yeah. question. It's going to be Phantom. I mean, basically, it's going to be Lion King. Look at the bomb drop. I actually think, I, I, I actually yeah. think, I, I actually checked my stats. In terms of money, the Lion King is the highest grossing theatrical thing consistently. Um, in terms of what it's made. I mean, it's, uh, it's been around longer, but I think Lion King's actually made more money. Wow. Wait, we, I feel like, how can we skip this? Did Julie ever come around? I met her, I met her a couple of times, yeah. She, okay. she would show up randomly for, like, like brush-ups and things like that. But yes. Oh. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Nice. I love and she, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, when, and, when she, and honestly, when she came, she always kind of really gathered us together and, like, asked regular theater questions that, like, I'll never forget... <laughs> when she sat us in a circle and one by one she had to, she asked us like why we were like why we were there as animals like why were we what was going on she's like she's like this is the idea you guys aren't just a rhinoceros you are the rhinoceros representing oh it it was the it, it was the elite coming to it's mm-hmm. not all the whole kingdom. This is an invite-only situation, so where's your reverence? I was like, oh, snap, someone's actually talking text and process. Yes. Damn. I, I literally said to one of the first time I met her, she goes, she goes, why are you here? And I said, I said as a joke, I was being snarky. I was just like, I was just told to stand on 12. Oh, shit. Which is true. No one had ever talked mm-hmm. to me about that. They, they, had, they had to teach me the show in like a week. Yeah. Yep. I said, I don't know. <laughs> Look at Jason being like, um, excuse me, Miss Tamor. I was told to stand on 12. I was stand on if you have any 12. thoughts about this show. Yeah, please. I assumed we are here to watch the baby being born, but that's about it. <laughs> no one ever talked to me about backstory. I'm obsessed. Obsessed. All right. <laughs> Yo, you all have, listen, if you haven't been listening, go back, start to binge this. Uh, Jason VC next week is our last episode with him, but it'll be here in posterity. Jason, thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank I you. fucking adore you. And I'm so this lucky to be here. Oh my God. And uh, we're going to have some extras for you guys. That Patreon's coming. Don't you, don't you worry. So yes. in the meantime, everyone, please, uh, first of all, wash your hands, put on a goddamn mask. Please, 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 please. And also please be, be healthy, be actionable. And most importantly, be authentic. Much love. For Fuck's Sake Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Kiko Salazar Productions, hosted and produced by Aaron Salazar. Original music by Manuel Paleo and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at 4FS Podcast. Thanks so much. Much love.